Music from Neil O'Connor's Ordnance Survey, Earlsford Terrace, April 1991. The opening track on his recent album entitled Fieldwork, which was released last month. This is Amplify, the podcast from the Contemporary Music Centre, and this week we feature conversations with Neil O'Connor and some of the other composers and performers who took part in last month's Music Current Festival at Smock Alley Theatre, Dublin. It's episode 53 and I'm joined once again by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi Yvonne. Hi Jonathan, how's it going? So like so many festivals and events that were postponed or cancelled during the pandemic, it was really great to finally see Music Current go ahead in November. Yeah, it was Jonathan and Fergal Dowling, the artistic director of Music Current, I think stayed really true to his vision of having a live festival, live performances. And as, as you know, Jonathan, in chats we, we've had with Fergal over the many months of the pandemic, that was something he was very, very keen to try and keep intact and to bring these interesting experimental artists for live performances here in Dublin. Artists from the UK with Zubin Kanga, Richard Craig and the Ensemble Bastard Assignments who are are led by the Donegal composer Timothy Cape and then artists based here on the island of Ireland who are pushing out the boundaries of performance practice, collaborative practice and mixed media performance. And I think that Music Current always offers a real alternative to audiences. And for Fergal, he wanted to keep that live experience for audiences. It was really important. And he didn't want to compromise either on any of his ideas for the collaborative pieces, where he had the vision to facilitate the pairing of composers and performers in the creation of new work. Mm. So we're going to hear now from Dublin Sound Lab and Music Current Artistic Director, composer Fergal Dowling. And I spoke to Fergal about the idea behind Music Current how he approached programming the festival in light of the many different restrictions and challenges faced since March 2020, and the idea of this collaborative space for musicians and composers as part of the festival. Immediately after my conversation with Fergal, you'll hear from some of these artists who worked together collaboratively. Clarinetist Paul Rowe and composer Neil O'Connor and composer Alice Cherniak. Music Current has been going since 2016, every year, in, normally in April. And it has a, a number of strands. The biggest is the public-facing evening concerts. But we also have this parallel strand where we invited composers to send scores and then we made one concert with their works. Now, that was in a very intense production environment, often on the last day of the festival. So that was something we were keen to make better and work in a more effective way. So for April 2020... We had planned to have two parallel spaces, one space with the public concerts and a second space where composers and technologists and composers slash performers could work together for the duration of the festival and collaborate together to make their own program. So this wasn't just to make a more friendly production environment or a more relaxed production environment, but to bring people actually into the festival and have music making as a core element within the festival so that people were creating and collaborating on an ongoing basis throughout the duration of the festival so and also to try and create a kind of collegiate spirit 
and also furthermore to make an environment or a space or a laboratory shall we say like the lab in Dublin Sound Lab mm. to make that space as part of the festival so it's a space that people come into and they work together and produce work and then the work has a public manifestation. Unfortunately that was supposed to happen in April 2020 and in March of course uh, restrictions came in I think just three or four weeks before that production that was all shelved and postponed until November or December last year. And then that had to be cancelled again. And then there was uh, Music Current 21 should have happened in April 21. But that, of course, uh, as we know, was subject to restrictions as well. You never considered like some festivals where they found themselves in a vacuum of not being able to put on public concerts that they switch to online? No, it's not something I considered at all. I know other people have done this and quite successfully. I mean, it's especially useful to see festivals that you can't get to or concerts you can't get that are in a remote part of the country or far away. But it's not something that would fit with the music current ethos or philosophy because the music that we program is really designed to be heard live. Of course, you can encode it and stream it and decode it somewhere else and reproduce it on a screen of any size you like. But you're really looking at a one-dimensional representation of data or information. I think concerts are really a ritual. I mean, that's what I like about going to concerts is that you go through a series of veils, like the, you know, the way the lights turn down, the way the, the music is cued, the way the musicians enter and take a bow and are applauded. The purpose of these little rituals is to separate the music from the outside world. If the music is transported to your working device or your entertainment device at home, you lose all those rituals. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of bringing all these concerts together across the four days of, of the festival, how do you do that or how do you go about deciding what to program and how to program? Is it a case that you're looking at music and performers and musicians that really interest you or that fit with, shall I say, your ethos or, or you know, maybe bring me into that world of Fergal Dowling programming a music current festival? Yes, it's exactly like you said. There's maybe a group of composers who I would like to present in Dublin who maybe don't get to Dublin or are not normally programmed by other programmers in Dublin who I think are very relevant and speaking about timely things, uh, social issues or uh, issues concerning art or how art interfaces with technology, for example, which is, I think is a very important issue at the moment. So there's perhaps a group of composers, especially on the continent, and a group of performers who are on my radar, or I've seen, or I've been following or heard about. I think when I started tightening up this program from, you know, a wider pool of potential participants, the talk at the time seemed to be in the middle of 2021 that the free travel area between Britain and Ireland would be honoured. At the moment, it's not been fully honoured. So we chose performers who were just from these two islands and we try to avoid ensembles as much as possible because if one ensemble member is restricted from coming of course it puts the kibosh in the whole mm. show so we try to have more focused smaller productions and just uh, soloists from Britain and Ireland I mentioned already that we were trying to devise this more ongoing kind of collaborative space within the core of the festival and we weren't able to do that and it was impossible to plan for that so we decided to work with a group of just Irish composers and Irish performers who were accessible to each other and living near to each other. And rather than prepare works in a space which we couldn't guarantee would be allowed, we asked them to collaborate over the space of this year 
so we paired up, I think, seven composers eventually and five different instrumentalists. Rather than working in a collective group, they worked in small groups over a much longer period. So this practicality, of course, changed that philosophy. But uh, the rationale for the original plan is still there and it's still something that we'd like to achieve or constitute on a regular basis so that it is a, a resource that's there and that people can depend on it if we can do it over over a number of years that it creates this kind of college of people who have been through this process and work together in this way. So it, it's really kind of fostering an environment for collaborative work between composers and performers and you see it as your kind of role as part of this festival to kind of create the right conditions. Yeah, yeah. I think I see that as something I would have liked to have had myself when I was a young graduate composer. I didn't feel there were many opportunities for that, you know, kind of direct production experience. Uh, and I think there probably there's more commissioning opportunities now, maybe, maybe more outlets, but there's still perhaps not so many opportunities for people to get involved directly in production and produce their own work or create collaborative productions themselves, of course, unless they go through and initiate a project themselves. Did you learn anything yourself in terms of what the kind of needs are or how you might extend that or develop or grow that project in future festivals? Well, this was a little difficult because we had to pair people up and make decisions about that. Some people wanted to work together and some people, they didn't know the other performers or composers and they were quite open to have suggestions made. Some were particularly effective, I think, and, and worked well. And some people made good friendships out of it as well, as well as developing good pieces. I mean, these things are all really down to personalities and how well people get on and how they're, what their working method is like. So it's difficult for me to evaluate that and say I would do something different because I'd still, I still want to create this more open space, which would have been self-directed by a larger group. That's something I really could evaluate and see how did people operate in this way. Even with my own evaluation of this, I said I shouldn't really evaluate that, but I don't want to put my fingerprints on it, so to speak. I want to make the space and let the composers and performers use it and not interfere if I can avoid it. So it's it's really just pairing the people up and just letting them letting them go at it. Absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, you as I said, you can see the difference of approaches. You can see what kind of instinctively what works and maybe what doesn't work and the ones that are more self-directed and the ones that are maybe slightly more more transactional in a sense. yeah well i mean there's all these types of approaches some people have a really deep ongoing collaboration and uh, spend a long time discussing before they make any music uh, some people might have as you say a very transactional approach and they may just get on and not talk very much and they may make great music other people may not get on at all and still make good music or and even if they don't, if, they may, if they're not happy with the results, it's not something that really can be judged as success or a failure. It's really, you know, it's just another thing that people have done. The act of taking part is, is an act in itself as well.
Hi, Neil O'Connor, uh, composer, performer. Paul Rowe, clarinet. So me and Paul kind of nominated to work with each other, probably just by, I don't know, random selection, I think. We first kind of just discussed things online, really, before we could meet in person. And then the happy big farmers of the world gave us vaccinations, which meant we could then finally incorporate ourselves in real time and work on the piece and individually. So it was great to work physically together. A lot of the work, I think, goes on between sessions. You know, we take impressions from the sources and then things grow in the imaginations. There's a lot of development in, in the spaces between our sessions. And then the idea is for it to always continue to be something we're both curious about. And the performance itself is never about getting something right. It's about actually opening up new directions through the performance. I think at the beginning it was very much about conversation. So we would just kind of talk about life, I think, more so. Paul was life coaching me as, a, as, as his profession and I was life coaching him. You but were. maybe in, in the form of electronics and the use of synthesizers, that was my coaching, right? And then, you know, I, I developed a, a, a kind of a more graphical score and um, the collaborative thing was core because I was asking Paul to record himself and then I was manipulating his recordings on my modular synthesizer. Mm -hmm. My performative part is thanks to Paul's mm -hmm. recordings. I'm very much living through Paul sonically. <laughs> Everything I'm processing on stage is, is Paul's recordings. So he's playing back against those. So that's why we have this frisson rapture mm -hmm. thing that we, we, we discussed about. One of the things that struck me when I listened to Neil's recording you sent on was the, actually was the beauty of the sound and I was a bit taken aback because sometimes electronic music can be very clinical and cold sounding to me anyway mm. with, with the best of respect to people who, who make music like that but and, and we had a long discussions about actually simply the quality of sound and I know that Neil has done a lot of work at one stage he said to me do you know what I broke my brain <laughs> doing this um the work that you did well, was more traditional computer music with coding and, and, and DSP processing and things like that and I just lost flavor for it because mm. the machine was carrying out everything and I had no control really over everything so mm. the idea now of using and becoming a performer in the middle of it all makes it a hell of a lot more interesting. I found it really interesting to explore that analog world because it wasn't something I knew much about and I was immediately also struck by Neil's passion for the music that seemed to me to be from a visceral place, from a place of real uh, interest in sound and colour and shape and wasn't really an intellectual endeavour. That was transmitted once again in, in the, the demeanour and the embodiment of the music. And as we play together, there's that sense of understanding, you know. Mm which I think is redolent of the experience we had playing together. Because even this thing, of, which is interesting for me, formerly being an orchestra player, Neil was saying to me, look, I really don't like rehearsing too much. In some spheres I've played in the past, it was all about rehearsing and getting everything lined up and right. But when you do that, there's a degree of predictability that we don't necessarily want. Because even when we did the run-through this afternoon, we said, oh, yeah, that was cool. It would be totally different later on, but yeah. yeah. 
the essence will be will continue to be there. The color will remain color. similar, I think. Yeah. 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 So this is presumably something that it's it's the start of something. Uh, it's not the end of something. It's something that you hope to continue. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, as long as, as Paul is um, is interested, I'd like to uh, take him on another date uh, at some stage yeah. and um, could you know think about taking a trip together or... yeah well who knows who knows I'm, I'm yeah. just you know fascinated by Neil just showed me his new LP and the names of the tracks have the years after them and I just even found that really fascinating like uh, Belfield 1972 and even that referencing a period of time it sets you up as the listener, as what you might expect mm. to hear from that mm. time in an imaginative world. So even, as I say, when you collaborate like that with people, that sort of out-of-the-box way of thinking is one of the, the nicest things about working with other people. They have different ideas, different ways of being in the world, you know. So it's, um, yeah, it's, we, we're going to record it for sure. We might make some, make an LP. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. See, yeah. We watch this space. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jen. I'm Ellis Cherniak. I am a musician, performer, composer based in Dublin. It is a collaborative piece between me and Ilsa and Joe and Paul, clarinet, flute and cello and myself on electronics. It was a strange one because um, obviously everything was done uh, remotely, getting the score together, chatting. So we've all just been in the, in the room for the first time an hour before the concert. So, you know, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. But uh, I designed the piece to be very um, free and, and improvisatory and, and because that's usually the aesthetic I work in anyway. So it actually lended itself quite nicely to the uh, situation we found ourselves in, which is here's some stuff, play around with it, sounds good, let's see how it goes, and that's it, you know. piece itself is the study of how we collaborate in certain situations and how we interpret stuff and how we perform and how we react live so I designed it in a way to try and suit the situation as much as possible you know which luckily does lend into what I like to research you know in music and, and composition as well and performance so I'm really interested in the unwritten ways that music is created and, and performed and interpreted you know outside the score you know conversing and and collaborating and all that kind of stuff so I think you know I've taken that and tried to go into it more and expand upon it not just with solo instruments but with group instruments as well when everything's kind of multiplied because you have so many more agents in the situation you know so that's kind of where I'm going and this opportunity was a really good one to explore that.
really looking at the relationship between the composer and the performer and the kind of um, deconstruction of, of any kind of hierarchy in that situation, you know. So that, that kind of thing, I, because um, just from past experience of having very conventional pieces performed, maybe not so conventional, and just kind of really trying to, just to re-explore and reconstruct certain dynamics, which I found weren't to my liking or more of a hindrance on my on, on me you know so um i don't really think you always need to be so on top of each other sometimes it's nice to have space to allow them to explore stuff that you mm. give them or you know or even just not even talking about music just talking about other stuff that's what i actually found in a lot of the zoom calls we were just kind of yeah just collaborating in other ways just like getting in the same space and stuff like that whereas sometimes when you're in a room with all your instruments it feels like okay we need to we need to be doing the music thing now, you know, with time limits, you know, time. whereas none of, no one had their instrument on the Zoom call. It was, we were literally just chatting about like the piece. And then again, that's probably because of the aesthetic I'm working, but then literally only, you know, an hour ago, we, we, we had our instruments and we were playing it, you know, obviously they were playing it on their own, on their own, but yeah. that was the whole thing. It was like, you go off now, you explore stuff. Whereas I feel like if I was standing beside them, it could affect the way they're doing it, which is exactly what I didn't want, you know? An extract from Ellis Cherniak's And the Acceptance of Death for bass flute, bass clarinet, cello and electronics. Paul Rowan clarinet, Ilse Dizia cello and Joe O'Farrell on bass flute. And Yvonne, it's to the flute we turn to next with two of the concerts in Music Current featuring solo flute. Yeah, Jonathan, the closing evening of Music Current, it featured two different programmes for the flute with Lena Andonovska, the Australian flautist now based here in Ireland, and Scottish performer Richard Craig. And I had the pleasure of speaking with both of these very special, specialist performers of contemporary music. When I looked at their programme for Music Current before we had a chat, it immediately struck me that composers right throughout music history, from Bach to Berio, have always had big demands from this instrument. Big demands that Lena Andonovska relishes. It's been a great privilege to prepare this. You know, it's been so long uh, since I did a solo concert. And so when Fergal invited me to present something, the first thing I was thinking about was the kind of pipe dream. What would I like to play at the moment? Also considering that music current, it's like a festival of multimedia. And so I knew I had that element accessible to me as well. So I had a list of composers who I've always admired um, or even like recent discoveries. The program is titled Public Privacy. And this is named after the piece by Brigitte Muttendorf, who is a new discovery of mine. Well, not so new anymore, but new since I lived in Frankfurt, since I lived in Germany. And public privacy kind of takes you on a little journey into a private space. And so it has a video element to it. And this was 
done collaboratively with Brigitte just a couple of weeks ago where I recorded some uh, short snippets of a video in the privacy of my practice space, which is my bedroom. And then she compiled this audio visual piece where in the background you will see these intimate kind of moments of myself along with other flute players from all over the world. So that was super fun kind of seeing how that came together and I'm really excited to present that piece. I really love playing it and it was a real surprise for me and I think I hope the audience will enjoy hearing it. Yeah, the program is using technology, a central part of the creative expression, you and technology. And, you know, when I think about the flute, it's kind of funny when you think back in the history of music, isn't it, Lena? Because, you know, the flute has been this instrument that composers have always been, you know, trying to push, push, push in terms of evolving and developing, you know, the Bach and the flute sonatas and Berio and the sequenza. I mean, pushing the flute the whole time and you're pushing it now to another level in terms of, you know, working with electronics in your solo performance. Yes, um, it's interesting you you should bring up that theme because one of my great friends and collaborators, Lucia Kilger in Germany, who I also met in Frankfurt um, while I was a, a student at the Ensemble Modern um, Academy, she she calls me an extreme flutist. And so even when I was like this morning kind of gathering all my things and doing the last minute preparation to the program, I was thinking yeah, this really is extreme fluting. Let's talk about Dave Fennessy's piece. Not so much repertoire for flute written by, by Dave. So great to see this piece on the program. It's called Bridge. So I first became aware of David's music when I was with Ensemble Modern and the violist in the group premiered a piece of his called Hauptstimme for solo, viola and ensemble. It was like incredible. And firstly, I was like, Okay, David Fennessy, okay, he, he, I, he's an Irish composer. Uh, I think he was also a featured composer at New Music Dublin a number of years ago. He had that yep. big piece. The Conquest of the Useless. Right. <laughs> and big, big piece. Huge, yeah, yeah massive. <laughs> and so I I dropped him. I actually noticed on Twitter uh, throughout this year he mentioned something about composing for flute and I'd kind of put that in my mind and then I kind of did a little bit of digging and uncovered that he was also a graduate of the Ensemble Modern Academy. So he was a composer a number of years ago. I finished, the, I, I completed that course also a couple of years ago. And so there's this connection. We were both living in Frankfurt, working with Ensemble Modern. And so I wrote to him and he has recently come to the flute and has been recently composing. So Bridge is, I think it, it's the piece that he was actually tweeting about that he just completed a piece for flute and he, he sent me his scores, uh, very generously sent me his scores. I hope to perform all of them soon, but Bridge was the one that I thought would be most suitable to this concert. It's this really explosive, aggressive um, piece and it's very relentless for like four and a half, five minutes.
even just the physicality of a very kind of different embouchure, a very kind of different technique, using my air in a very different way. When you think of pieces, solo pieces, I mean, I'm quite conscious of, you know, the kind of the pressure that's on the composer, first of all, when they're writing just this one line of music and to keep the interest, to keep the musical interest. okay, and then the pressure on the performer to, you know, deliver on that musical interest on this one line of music and them centre stage. It's it's quite unique, you know, so different to being in, you know, an ensemble. This is part of the driving force in my life. And for me, it's a lot of fun. It's just, it's so much fun bringing solo flute music onto a platform and to an audience. And you're right, it can be a little intimidating just having the one melodic line. It's a lot more intimidating when you get many lines of music for the flute, which is happening more and more where composers using, um, you know, several staves to, uh, I guess, to notate as a way of expressing what is in their thoughts and in their minds and then as a performer up to us to decipher and understand. You know, I, I love being able to play as a solo performer. It's like one of my great passions. It's not so intimidating for me. It's more, it's a challenge, you know, interpreting this music, but it's also like the greatest fun. David Fennessy's Bridge, performed by Flautus, Lena and Anoska. So the final conversation is with Scottish flautist Richard Craig. And Yvonne, Richard's programme included two premieres by Sean O'Dolig and Music Current Artistic Director Fergal Dowling. Yeah, so Richard came in to CMC when he was over for Music Current, Jonathan. I really enjoyed this chat and uh, he talks about how the technical elements inform the artistic, especially in Fergal Dowling's piece and, of course, Richard's primary concern being the artistic. And then he talks about what sounds to me like a rather generous online workshop with Sean O'Dolig about different elements of the flute and flute playing. So we'll hear your conversation with Richard now about these pieces and composing for flute. In the middle of this interview, you'll also hear from Fergal Dowling and Kerry-based composer Sean O'Dolig about his piece for Richard. Richard, it strikes me when I think about the flute, you know, in the context of these concerts, your, your concert and Lena's concert at the Music Current Festival and the, I suppose, pushing of the boundaries that the, that the composers are asking you to do, you know, with the extended techniques mm. on the flute. The flute being, you know, really one of these instruments that crosses different genres, classical and traditional music. Mm -hmm. 
you've collaborated with the composers to really extend what's possible with mm. the flute. Mm. It's interesting that the focus, I think, for many is the technical one. But for me, it's not really the technical. So I'm more interested in trying to make the instrument, in a sense, more, more musical and a broader palette uh, to work from as opposed to innovating for innovation's sake. And that works its way into compositions today through um, various aspects. So maybe things I've developed, techniques I've developed that I would show the composer, or uh, maybe even um, using electronics as a kind of instrument, which feeds through into what the instrument actually does normally. So it extends it, can transpose it, or maybe even make a double of it, a copy of it in real time. Yeah, so you're seeing the extended techniques and the use of electronics as a creative, they're creative tools really for the composer to to express what they want to express musically. Yeah, I think also from my my side, I'm keen to make a piece that's both parts music uh, making as well as collaboration so that I actually have something to say or work with as well. Um, and as you said, the flute itself has developed from the get-go, really. But that's actually been a technological uh, innovation from the get-go as well. So the reason why composers have taken it up and tried to push it is because there's been more keys added or different materials have come into play. And so I think that's why, as, as well as other things, that the flute has seemed to be at the forefront of lots of innovation and ideas. Of course, Richard, we're coming out of a very unusual time for the world and for all that work in music. And, you know, with Fergal Dowling and with Sean O'Dolly, how collaborative could you get really through the online possibilities that were open to us over the last few years? Well, with Fergal, actually, we met before the pandemic. So we managed to spend a fair bit of time working together and just testing and pushing the what we could do and also just hearing from each other what what we wanted to change or add or subtract. And with Sean, it was more of a, an online, I guess, presence, really, how to approach the instrument. So really, I hope Sean doesn't mind me saying this, but I basically gave him a flute lesson. <laughs> I mean that in the best sense. It wasn't um, a sort of beginner's introduction, but rather so that he could understand how the, how acoustically the instrument works and what you could draw from it and what to expect from it when you ask to do certain things on it. So my name is Sean O'Dolig and I'm a composer from Kerry. It's entitled Landscape 2, uh, 2 because it's uh, part of a series of, of solo pieces I've been doing uh, recently. The other one previous to this was a, a cello piece I did with the cellist Seth Parker Woods. The pieces they started as layered and filtered and collaged field recordings that I had made over the years. And I suppose it started as a way of me trying to like figure out my relationship now to those field recordings, what they meant. The instrumental pieces themselves are a series of basically transcriptions of these layered 
field recordings which get uh, filtered and eroded until they become what they are now there's a point along the in the process where um i can like really hone in on where i start to think about what is this going to like how will this material be uh, squeezed into the flute for example um like practically what you end up with in the transcription process is a vast like tapestry of notes essentially um in different registers and wildly different registers both in and outside the possibilities of the flute so um it's really putting you in a situation that forces you to uh like uh like wrestle the material into the flute whether it's like you deciding oh is this high note that came out here is that a very high note on the flute is it a harmonic of a lower note you know is it actually you know two octaves down and that high note on the transcription is actually an overtone that we will hear in the room you know this this these are the, the the decisions of orchestration in a very traditional way actually i guess you're just kind of um making it a bit more challenging talked a little bit earlier about uh, the collaborative process between yourself and Sean but I guess it always strikes me with a, a solo work for any instrument it's quite a challenge for the composer to keep the audience interest over mm. one line of music and a challenge too for the performer to really carry that off. There's two sorts of pressures here there's that certainly attention levels from the composer's side not to forget there's hundreds of pieces that have gone before They've got to contend with that. And then from a performer's side, there is a kind of commitment that has to happen to what's on the page and to understand conceptually what's going on. And that's where collaboration or at least understanding why a composer has written what they have and things this comes to you know, the fore, really. So it is hard, but I think it's also, if you're playing contemporary music, you realise that it's far from set in place. The piece is still very much... Um, alive and won't really be captured necessarily definitively as Mozart or Beethoven would. So there's still a lot of life left in there and a lot of you know energy to come out of it. It just really it depends on how invested you are in it. Fergal's piece is called Double. It's actually a, a Baroque inference that there's actually a, some other, if you like, variation or copy of the actual flute part happening in real time, but shifted either way, either delayed or uh, enharmonically treated. And so what's very clever about it uh, is that the, the, the electronics will follow me and also that um, any adjustments I make, it also makes, but it makes them in a sort of superhuman way. So that I actually have a dual partner who's ever slightly ahead of me or ever slightly behind me but in a very different sort of musical sense, uh -huh. which is really interesting to play with.
In spatial electronic music, there's a kind of obsession with this kind of idea of realism or verisimilitude and making realistic reverbs to mimic realistic spaces or even making fake spaces, impossible spaces that sound realistic. So it's, it's an ongoing theme in electronic music. Very often, it's not questioned. I mean, some, some composers do have some notable examples of that. But it's also an important theme in society now and in post-digital cultural theory and a lot of composers dealing with this idea of a kind of parallel digital world and how it relates to our world. Maybe the problem or the idea of truthfulness and identity is becoming more important in politics and society and mm. economy. This kind of idea of, of information somehow being true has taken on a very strong social meaning now. For instance, like the current restrictions are a real world reaction to computer models. We use computer models to imagine how the world would be and then we make decisions based on those models. So we're actually modeling the world, modeling society, making new laws at, at the very edge of constitutional law, restricting people's movements and so forth, based on computer models. The thing with Fergal's pieces as well is that it's almost, it feels like it's quite demonic. I mean that in the sense that it's its really pushing, uh, it's quite a lively flute part. And in turn, the electronics are equally responding to that sort of input as well. So it does feel like a kind of, um, not a duel, but certainly a sort of meeting of minds. Virgil Dowling's Double for Flute and Electronics, performed by Richard Craig. Thanks to Virgil and all the contributors to this episode. That's all for this week. We'll be back again soon with the final episode of Amplify for 2021. Until then, thanks for listening.